We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded and pay our respects to Elders past, present and Aboriginal Elders emerging. Percy Pitt Galay, Service Number 5022 of the 21st Australian Infantry Battalion. In October 1918, his 21st Battalion participated in the Australian attack on the Germans at Montbarain. During this battle, Percy earned the Military Medal for displaying great courage and daring. The citation reads in part, He was first to volunteer for any enterprise of dangerous character. Private Galay set out to bring aid and moved over open country under close machine gun fire. He delivered an important message to his company commander and whilst returning, gathered a party together to attend to the wounded. This is my Anzac. Private Galay is my great-grandfather. After the war, he acquired a soldier settlement property in the Mallee, which is how my mum's side of the family ended up in Boundary Bend, or more specifically, in Natcha. Anzac Day is something sacred, and it should be to all Australians, regardless of background, race or religion. The freedoms we enjoy in 2021 are because of our serving National Service men and women like my granddad Percy, and like our cousin Jason, who currently serves in the Australian Navy. I believe Anzac Day is just one day when they should all be commemorated and honoured. And if you get the chance to sit down and talk with someone who has served, do it. It will change your whole perspective on life. We're about to do that now. Brian Hendrick, as most of you will probably know, is the president of the Robinvale Euston sub-branch of the RSL. And he agreed to come in and have a chat to me about his time in national service and about this Sunday's services around the district. Oh, hey, Brian. I'm pretty good, thank you. Busy? Absolutely. I mean, all the 12th hour work, uh, yeah, ongoing. Mm. Of course, with COVID and regulations from state government, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Challenging. Mm, that's a good adjective to describe it. How's it all gone, the organisation of this Anzac Day? Um, pretty much the same except for the paper trail. Ugh. It is very frustrating to uh, most, well, probably say all sub-branches within Victoria because when you think our illustrious state government can uh, allow anywhere from 70 to 100,000 people to gather in one major area and then restrict um, the veterans mm. and their helpers and the younger veterans especially and the older ones who need care and help uh, in marching in Melbourne. We in Robinvale, of course, we don't have a huge amount of veterans anymore, but we encourage families or next to kin to join in the march. That's a really important point you make. First of all, we'll go back to the 100,000 people gathering in one spot. You're talking about the MCG? Yes. Yeah. And this stinks to high heaven. The whole situation just stinks, and I don't want to get too political, but if they're going to restrict the gathering at the shrine and then five minutes down the road, a couple of hours later, 100,000 people can gather because of the revenue that the state government make off sport, I mean, I have a moral issue with that. How does it sit with you? Oh, absolutely the same. And all 
99, probably 100% of the veteran community are overly concerned about that, that's for sure. I know we have a few veterans in Robbenvale who endured the, the Second World War, mm-hmm. and of course they do need help uh, in their wheelchairs or wheelie walkers or help. Um, and of course if they were to participate in Melbourne, it is more help required there because the march is so much longer mm. and greater and bigger, but it's not allowing uh, next to kin to facilitate help to the elderly and it's definitely not encouraging any younger veteran that has seen horrendous service to be involved and know they're most welcome and uh, and be appreciated by the community, the wider community in their giving up their, a lot of their freedoms and some of course enduring mental and physical trials and tribulations, um, Eric, it's a very difficult one to grasp. This shouldn't even be, be a political issue, but it's the whole, it, it's exactly what you said. It's not being able to recognise our national servicemen and women that have served, to me, is absolutely un-Australian. It's Anzac Day, for goodness sake. There Absol- shouldn't be rules around this. No. Should there? I mean, there, 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 there has been some good rules that have been put in place. And one was uh, many years ago, um, there was uh, military vehicles and no doubt some of them are pretty old that mm. were in the, in the parade. And, of course, there was an accident. And so the logic of that was that if you've got jeeps or trucks that have got history, and especially military history... Um, they lead the parade. Mm. Now, Robbenvale has two Jeeps, uh, one Australian one, owned by, it was owned rather, by a local Second World War veteran, and another one that the museum purchased that was the American Jeep owned by another ex-Australian serviceman in Menangatang. And they're in the museum, and many years ago were able to put them in the march, but, of course, the, the... protocol there is any moving vehicle must be lead the march and not come behind the marches, Mm -hmm. which is understandable. Mm. So will those vehicles be in this year's march? No, no. The OH&S with those vehicles is quite uh, questionable. (laughs) They have to be, well, very roadworthy Mm. to put in a march. And and, and it it would be very unfair on the museum people and those that are operating it for the Jeep or Jeeps to sort of conquer it halfway through yeah. the march and then everybody's got to march and go around them. Mm. Yes. And it'd also be unfair to expect them to maintain them to be used once a year. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah, it is a ch- challenge. Mm. Um, one thing, they don't have to be registered, but the OHS and the logistics of it are very high priority. Mm. So there is a march. So all the services are happening in Robinvale because this has been a question that I've been asked multiple times, especially over the last week. I did see something go up on Facebook this week, but everything is happening. There's a dawn service. That is correct. And yep. there is the march at 10.30, isn't there? Yes. Great. And then, of course, um, we, well, in between the dawn and the main service at Robinvale, we go to Euston. Mm-hmm. The Euston School coordinates the presentation there um, at the cenotaph. Mm-hmm. Um, my role there and that is to bring the flags over and the community then march. The Robinvale Community Band will lead that march. 
uh, with the logistics of them being prepared for Robinvale. They will march at Euston, the band will lead the march, and they will march past the Cenotaph, uh, they will stop playing, and the parade will dismiss and go to the Cenotaph. The band then will proceed to the waiting bus and proceed to Robinvale in preparation for the big service there. Wow, so what time does the Euston uh, service start? What time do you have to take the flags over? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes, yeah. Well, the flags, it's the local RSL here. We have flags representing um, all the forces. Mm -hmm. uh, And any country flag, we have Fijian, we have ex-Fijian military people in the community. Mm -hmm. And the protocol there is um, with the flags, national flags must be carried by a citizen that has served under that flag. Right. So let's talk about service and we'll come back to the details of uh, Anzac Morning a bit later on. But let's talk about service. You were a national serviceman. Tell us exactly what that means. To those of us civilians that don't know military protocol, tell us about what a national serviceman is. Well, if we go back in history, uh, the Australian government of the day back in the 1960s, um, one would imagine cajoled by the Americans to join with them in supporting South Vietnam. That was uh, a non-communist state. Mm. And much to a lot of Australian people's minds, Vietnam was a, a dirty war. Um, some say we shouldn't have been there, but you do, as most of us are brought up, to support the flag, support the government and do what is the matter of the day. Mm-hmm. And I was called up in the 14th ballot. There was four ballots a year, intakes, and um, there was about a 1,000 personnel that were taken to Melbourne I was one of, there was four of us from Robinvale that got on a bus and headed to Melbourne back in October 1968. And the other three that went with me, who I went to school with, um, they served in Vietnam and I didn't. That was just the luck of the draw. So what, was it just, was it literally just the luck of the draw and luck of that ballot that they went and you didn't or was it... Well, we, we really don't know that process. I mean, you had to pass a medical to become a, a soldier. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, even though I wear glasses, I was given a, a classification of 100% yep. health. Uh, you had to be physically fit and you, well, when I... You imagine a thousand guys in their jocks standing in uh, big barracks in Melbourne and the doctor's having a look at you, open your mouth, oh, good, your tonsils are gone, pull your jocks back, oh, that's a decent appendix scar, that's good, you won't cost us anything, was the comment. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it literally was, have a look at what you've still got oh, that could yeah, cause yeah, issues yeah, yeah. and they tick it off and... Mm. Wow. So what was going through your mind as you're standing there in that line, in your jocks, what's going through your mind and the pit of your stomach? Was it fear? Was it excitement? Was it anger? How are you feeling? Oh, I don't know. I remember my father said to me, because he served in the Second World War, uh, and he was in Guinea and the Solomon Islands, and uh, 
his words to me when I got on the bus in Robinvale uh, was just remember your upbringing, boy, and all the best. Really? Mm. What did he mean by that? Oh, well, having been in the military, he knew the temptations of, um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. (laughs) I think there's a cold chisel song written that could pretty much encompass what we're talking about. Oh, well, when you're with blokes of all different uh, persuasions, backgrounds, ages, Mm. interests, yes, yes, it opens your eyes. Mm. And I firmly believe it gave me a better understanding of human nature, uh, Mm. especially when you employ people, as we did before I retired. And, um, yeah, you, you, you have a more of a, yeah, as I said earlier, an understanding because mm-hmm. they're all different views and uh, some of them uh, I definitely wouldn't put over the radio. Yeah, no, that's fair enough too. <laughs> you can keep that to yourself. We'll talk about it off air later on. Can do. So how old were you in 1968? 20. You were 20 years old, ready to go to war. Well, whether I was, I probably wasn't ready because you, you, yeah. There's the initiation and the training, and of course, us young men that come off a farm, they, they love that because one, you knew how to use a shovel and you knew how to shoot, mm. so that was two things. There, yeah, you were, in you're in the the army itself, mm. um, yeah, that's what you were, you were you were nicknamed a grunt. A grunt? Mm. Really? Where did that come from? Well, I can only imagine that when you've got a pack on your back and you're carrying ammunition and a weapon and you're going up a never-ending mountain, uh, you were grunting a lot, mm. believe me, mm. physically I'm, and mentally. I'm sure for 20-year-old <laughs> blokes these days, it takes a lot less than that for them to grunt. True. Don't you think? I think, <laughs> yes. I, I think some sort of military service discipline as well, and as well as the ability of sharing and looking out for your mate is Mm. probably not as high-focused as what it was in our day. Mm. Do you think a year of national service, if if kids want to take a gap year that is the Mm. trend these days between high school and university or work or whatever it seems to be, do you think national service is a good idea for some, maybe not for all? You, you mentioned a year. Mm. Um, you would just be at the end of that year probably becoming more acquainted and used to the vocabulary that's used, your occupation, because you've got to understand in the military there's, it's just like a township. Mm. You know, you have plumbers, you have builders, you have engineers, you have road sweepers, you have everybody. Mm. And... After 12 months, you're really only finding your way, in my mm. mind. Yeah, okay. That's interesting, isn't it? So it could be a... Oh, yeah, well, a year probably wouldn't hurt for those who don't appreciate the discipline. Mm. Mm. That is probably something else that, because in our age group discipline, when you were told no, it was no. Mm. And if you forgot to do something like a tech... I'll give an example here, was um, well, that... Uh, bucket, I'll use the word, mm. um, after various exercises and routines and marches and stuff, and then we're back on the parade ground, gravel parade ground, and somebody stuffed up, so you were down on your hands and toes only, 
your rifle in front of you and you're doing push and your pack on your back and you're doing push-ups with claps. Mm. So there was dust was being made and going into the rifle, which Brian didn't think about. <laughs> and I remember after lunch, of course, the instructors, righto boys, weapon inspection. And of course mine failed because I hadn't kept my weapon clean. And that is paramount. So I had the job then of uh, going onto the parade ground and picking up any cigarette butts and polishing the brass of the fire extinguishers as part of the penalty for not carrying out the required mandatory duties. Wow. It's unbelievable, isn't it? And that's only training. That's correct. Yeah. So in my mind, that level of discipline, um, and we know how levels of discipline have waned, in recent generations, I suppose, um, I think it could be nothing but a benefit, don't you think? I think it it probably helps that, as I said, most people our age group then, there was more yes and no and please and thank you in life, mm. uh, a greater respect for probably the police as well. Mm. Uh, but then, of course, you always have those that want to broker it. Well, that's it. And I mean, I, I suppose my thoughts were, and I haven't given it a huge amount of thought. I've always thought it's a it, national service is a, is a good idea as long as you have the choice whether or not you want to go and see combat. But, you know, we've got juvenile detention centres that are overflowing and maybe some sort of national service might be a good idea there. But um, I digress. Let's talk about you. So being a national serviceman means you were never deployed overseas. Is that right? No. no okay. It's totally incorrect. Oh, is it? Yes. Tell yes. me. Tell yeah. me what a national serviceman well, is Well, a then. national serviceman, it depends on, on where your what your skills were. Mm-hmm. I, I went in with guys that had skills in, in mechanics. Okay. And... They went into uh, RAMI, which is Royal Australian Electrical Mechanical Engineers, mm. or another mechanic side of it, or if they had skills in truck driving, a lot of those guys become a transport oh. and core. Yep. Um, yeah, it, it was so varied. It, it all depends where at the time was the need, I believe. I mm. don't know. I might be wrong there. Yep. But you can only look back with retrospect and think, oh, yes, that's probably why. Mm. I mean, we had guys that were qualified school teachers when I joined up. You know, yeah, right. we, we had uh, a whole gamut. There mm. was a range of ages as well, not mm. only 20-year-olds, but some were 23, 24. Right. They had uh, put off to going in. They were allowed to do that to facilitate their educational requirements or not unless you had dispensation to get leave because of medical problems within the family. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, oh, there's lots of different scenarios. I mean, right. you talk to a lot of others and they'll say, oh, no, that's not quite right. Mm. Well, maybe it may be, but I'm only recalling and saying uh, what I learnt to a degree plus endured to a yeah. degree. Yeah, so what were, what was your job after you'd finished training? Well, training is your rookie training takes three months, mm. and that's where you learn to march. You learn to have your uniform uh, washed, cleaned, ironed, and tidied. Uh, you learn how to shoot and so forth. Uh, you learn, yeah, even some machine gun work, hand grenade, whatever. Mm-hmm. But then you go into your core. 
and your core could be as it was with me infantry because probably because I had a farming background and we're used to the digging holes in the bush um, <laughs> you had those as I mentioned about one of the guys he was a mechanic so he went into the mechanic side of things some went, that's called core training and if you happen to have a first aid course and had a reasonable high quality there, you can end up a medic. Mm. Um, another thing uh, people don't think favourable, I know we used to call them all various names, uh, that was the cooks. And the old adage from the First World War was an army marches on its stomach. Mm. And, of course... Us infantry guys were very critical. We were young, naive. Um, we used to call all these people various sorts of names that cannot be said over the radio. <laughs> you can. This isn't radio. This is uh, community oh, broadcasting. Well, you say yeah, what you but want. Don't matter. Somebody else is going to hear it and uh, and and not be appreciative of my colourful language. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, in that point, if if they were short of whatever, you know, medics and so forth, mm. or, yeah, and even those that had a degree or not necessarily a degree, but a skill in certain areas, mm. they were, yeah. I mean, the military's like a, a city. Mm. It has everything, you name it. Yeah. They are there. You've got truck drivers, you've got doctors, you've got dentists, you've got nurses, you've mm. got lawyers. You got surveyors, yeah, and it goes on and on. Yeah, and we do and see. Of course, then the infantry probably is the biggest core there is, and mm. that make because they're predominantly at at the coalface. Mm. So, as from nineteen sixty eight, how long did it take you to do your training? You were three months at Puckapunyal. Yep. Then I did three months at. Singleton mm-hmm. in the Hunter Valley. Yep, that that was core training. That yep. was for infantry. Okay, and then you you did more work with uh, machine guns, uh, tactics, um, hand grenades, etc., etc. Mm. Yeah, and a lot of um, climbing mountains. I I thought we weren't infantiers. I thought we were mountaineers. Yeah, right. But <laughs> yeah, you have to be strong in body and probably strong in mind too. Yeah. So after Singleton, where were well, you? Well, I was that? posted to Canungra, which mm-hmm. was the Jungle Training Centre, and I was attached to the staff there for the rest of my national service. Which was how long? Uh, well, that was 18 months. Yeah, right, okay. And I was fortunate enough to take a few lessons in uh, doing courses mm-hmm. and attained the rank of full corporal towards the end. Did you? Um, and some of the work there was we were dressed up in the black pyjamas, so to speak, enemy, um, helping the instructors that were training the troops before they went to Vietnam. Um, we would um, set booby traps and all sorts of things. And then later on, I did a Vickers machine gun course, which was Second World War gears, and I really, really take my hat off to the Second World War men that were in Vickers machine gun battalions because to carry a Vickers machine gun, I think it may take at least four men because you have a tripod that weighs unbelievable amount. Mm. You have the machine, the gun itself, that 
weighs unbelievable amount as well. And then you needed spare barrels. Then all the ammunition. We were opening rounds of ammunition at Canungra um, that were coming from India, 1944, 1945, and they were in rounds of 500 in a belt. We would take out every fifth one and put a tracer in so that this was utilised in battle inoculation in the training and any of those that have been through Canunga will understand what I'm saying. You're crawling through mud, water, barbed wire, being yelled at, smoke grenades going off, live bullets flying over your head to simulate battle inoculation. And... I really, really take my hat off, and I know Mr. Ken Stewart, that was past president of Robinvale RSL. He was in a machine gun battalion, and they carried these in the mountains in Guinea, and oh, it's unbelievable the mm. weight of what they had to carry. And plus, yeah, they were water cooled. You had to have water coming from a can through a hose to keep the barrel cool because you could vary the rate of fire at so many rounds per minute. Oh. And, um, you know, just to get all this in position. And they were used similarly in the First World War. There were similar machines to that as well, the machine guns. So it would take four men to carry... Well, to carry all the gear, yeah. Wow. And, of course, you're in a, a sitting position which you were exposed to enemy fire. So that's why a lot of the times they were uh, what they used to call a pillbox and they would have a slit and they, the gun could navigate up and down slightly and crossways through that slit. Right. Just to camouflage where you well, were that's, that's if, But then that's if you're in a static position, but the men of the Second World War in the Highlands in New Guinea and the Kokoda... Um, they had nothing like that. Mm. They were open. Yeah. In the uh, jungle. It's, it's in the jungle. Mm. I'm only, I can be challenged on most of what I said because there'll be parts of it that some people won't understand or will not agree with. Mm. But I'm just talking how I visualised mm. and what I learnt. Um, yeah, you had to do a special course to do it. And mm. the lock itself, it was called a lock, the firing pin mechanism. And, we had to know how to pull that apart and put it back together blindfolded. So really? that, that's what you practised. And I was given a lock so many years ago. Somebody said to me, oh, you'll know how to do this. You know, I had completely forgotten how to pull a lock apart. Mm. But, yeah, those all moving parts. And when you think those men that used it in, in, in Kokoda, when you had rain, you had mud, and to keep everything operative... Because without that machine gun fire, yeah, a whole lot of lives could have been worse off. My great-grandfather fought in World War One. He was at the Western Front. Um, and I have his medal, his medals. In fact, there's been a couple of replicas that family members have had made. I've got one and my eldest son has a mini set. In my mind, I never knew Grandad Percy. Uh, he died before I was I was born. In my mind, I would like to keep marching for him, but at the same time, I can't even imagine what 
serving men, our serving men and women and veterans have gone through. So a part of me would feel bad to take part in the march. What do you say to that? Should I be feeling bad or should I be participating in marches? I mean, I go to the dawn service every year. My son, has he's six, he's never missed one. Even last year he was up in his dressing gown in the backyard over the fire pit. So what do you say to that? Should we keep marching with Granddad Percy's medals on? Absolutely. With pride? Absolutely. Mm. We need to honour those that have gone before us. Mm. Because what it comes back to, remember my dad saying, no war is a just war. There's going to be innocent that are going to be wounded and killed. Mm. But at the end of the day, if we're defending our country, our freedom, our democratic rights, and those democratic rights is not just to vote, but it's to have the Christian principles of religion and to play football and to do whatever else we can, yeah, we must keep that up. Mm. I mean, yeah, it's First World War is another. I can only go by what I read. Mm. And I used to make critical comments as a younger person about the cooks. Mm. Um, the terminology at some stages was, to be polite on radio, was they used to f- fit it into pots and turn it into excreta. <laughs> <laughs> now, the old adage there was an uh, army marches on its stomach mm. and we used to denigrate the cooks. <coughs> but when you start looking at life and and you start looking at the history, especially World War One, there was hardly any food. And what those guys could make out of flour and water was greatly appreciated. Mm. But then not only the food, those big boilers and the cookers that the cooks used, and then there was the horses that used to drag them into position. And, of course, the enemy wanted to bomb all that because if you can stop the food supply or the means of transport, port, which was horses, Mm. um, you, you could have an advantage. But those big boilers were not only used for baking bread and cooking stews and soups, but also to de-louse or get rid of the fleas that were in the uniforms. Mm. And when you, like just my bit in Canungra Jungle Training Centre, when you used to go out and facilitate out in a week, go for four days, five, sometimes longer, and you come back into your barracks and you took off your gear and you had a shower and you come back and just the smell alone then, and this is not wartime, this is just peacetime. Yeah, and these guys would have been short on food. There would have been no balance in any diet. Whatever you could eat, you could eat. That was grappled with. That local produce or stealing somebody's sheep or stock, that would have went on. Um, yeah, but so when you look at the cooking and that and to denigrate uh, anybody that is part of a process, um, yeah, because one of the old adages that that was put to me was by some Second World War men in Robbenvale, it takes ten to keep one at the front. Now, that can be debated, but 
at the end of the day, if you start looking at part of those 10, you're not only talking about the supply trucks or the cooks, but you're talking about the doctors, the nurses, the dentist, um, you know, and those that pack things up and prepare it all. Mm. Then if you, you know, it, it's, it goes on and on. Yeah, Navy, Air Force and mm. so on. And their main aim is to keep the supplies up and the support. That's why in the Second World War, one of the attributing factors for the Japanese to struggle was the fact that their supply line was so long. And then to keep food, ammunition and, and re reinforcements, if you can't do that, you haven't got a hope. Mm. That's what I mean by there's so many moving parts and my hat goes off to anyone who has even considered joining our Defence Force in modern day or who has served in the past? Well, I, I struggled with that earlier on uh, when, uh, just as a national serviceman and not having served in Vietnam. I said to the eight or was so Vietnam vets in the Robinvale Houston area, you know, I've been asked, what, what do you think? And they all encouraged me to do that. Mm. I take my hat off to those guys because there's two that I'm very friendly with and they'll be in the march and they've endured unbelievable commitment uh, at, at the coalface. Mm. And what they've seen and had to do is beyond me ever thinking about it. Mm. Beyond any, any well, civilian. Well, you cannot yeah. imagine, unless no. you've been there. Mm. One of the scariest ones for Vietnam to me was any smaller guy that was nimble and able. They were sort of looked upon as possible for the the tunnel rats, as their nickname was. And they would enter the tunnels that were in Vietnam built by the Viet Cong as to circumvent anybody walking on the round. And they dug them for whatever. And these guys, Australian young men, went down in those tunnels to lay mines to blow them up. The claustrophobia and the possibility of being killed in that process was very, very high. Mm. No, it's, it's, yeah, I've got to be careful because I wasn't there and, and even if you was and I had mates that have, uh, they just wouldn't talk about it. They yeah. wouldn't be on this program today, end of story. No, and I'm so, so grateful because it is hard to find people to, to talk about it. So I'm so grateful that you've come in to have a word and to to encourage people to keep celebrating Anzac Day and celebrating those who have served in whatever capacity that might be because, like I said... Com commemorate yeah. would be a, another word you could put I in. I was going to say celebrate doesn't no, sit well celebrate with me either. sounds too joyful. Yeah. And, and, and it's not. It's Yeah, I mean... You do what's required of the day, mm. uh, what the government asks of you. Um, I know there was a lot of anti-war. I remember in Brisbane, I went from Canungra, I had tropical ear problem and I went to one military hospital in Brisbane, I mate and myself, and we are in uniform. Mm. And there was some people in the Brisbane public then that were very uh, anti-us, calling us names and waving their fists and umbrellas at us. And one dear old lady, she come to our aid and she said, I know you fellas, it, you, you're not at fault here. 
I support you, I'll, I'll defend you, quickly get, get on the bus and go. Mm. I'll never forget that. Really? Mm. Was, there, was that the only protest to the Vietnam War that you saw? In this uh, country? That's the one that comes to mind because we were personally confronted with about 10 mm. or 20 people mm. because we were in uniform. Well, the sad bit is a lot of the guys and the Robinvale fellas will, those that, well, that not only here in Robinvale at the moment but have moved to elsewhere, mm. uh, that come out of this community and served, uh, especially in infantry. Um, they were at the coalface for most of their 12 months and some historian has been brave enough to <coughs> indicate that the infantrymen of the Vietnam War in their 12 months of duty served more time at the front than the average Second World War person. Now, I've been very brave to say that, but that was a comment that was made. Mm. Now, whether that, how that can be substantiated, I do not have a clue, um, but... I know that the military in my era that, that went to Vietnam and those that are in the battalions, yes, their, their predominantly time of 12 months, the major portion of that 12 was at the coalface. Mm. So mental trauma mm. and so forth is still, and I know one of the guys here today has told me things and he said to me, don't you ever, ever repeat it? And I said, I definitely won't. Mm. And I think everybody And I think we've that. got to respect. Mm. It's, it's not, not only a matter honouring those that have gone before, but, yeah, you've you got, you got to try and visualise or have empathy mm. What have these guys been through that we don't know about? Yeah. And we'll never know. No. Uh, Unless that, you've been there, you will never know. No. And I, you can't even fathom imagining what what any veteran that's that's seen combat has gone through. Um, you got, yeah, we have Well, I don't. No. And that's where I am make that point again. I'm very, very cautious what I do. Mm. What I believe is why I'm doing it, because I believe these guys need support. Mm-hmm. Our children, our grandchildren, our immigrants need to understand that this country is built on on a lot of blood, sweat and tears and we're such a blessed country with minerals, with opportunity, with water, etc., etc. And we need to appreciate those that have gone before and those that have allowed this democratic free society to exist so far. Absolutely, and we also need to continue to protect that. Oh, absolutely. Protect our entire... Yeah, And this is why I believe the state government, now I'm going to get a bit political, needs to um, get out of their box and and start realising that this is a national disgrace to Mm. not not allow um, the veterans and their families and supporters because a lot of these men that are suffering, they need family. Mm. And unless those family are very uh, allowed and accommodating and these guys can mix with their mates and others, and that can give them a boost. And mm. if it helps them in their health and well-being, God 
workplace. Absolutely, and they absolutely should be able to do that. As far as support goes from the RSL, from Legacy, from, I mean, in in the US, and I've lived in the US for a while, so they have veterans hospitals. They have special veterans everything, but there are still a lot that fall through the cracks. How is it with the Australian Defence Force now and support services, even, you know, 50 years post-Vietnam? I think our federal governments have been very open to it mm. and I, th- I I stand corrected. What I say. I'm only going by what I see and hear. Um, I know my involvement as president of the Robinvale sub-branch is with what we call Area 6, which is uh, in Victoria, all RSLs are in an area, in different areas, and... Uh, area 6 extends from Mildura right down to St Arnott and across doesn't take in Swan Hill but goes right to the South Australian border. And you're mixing with their career soldiers and whatever and most of their focus is any fundraising that's done is for the welfare of the veterans. Mm. If support, for example, we have a a mental health clinic now that's free to everyone and it's due to a lot of hard work, would it be something that veterans would go and use? Because these things have got to be horrendous to think about, let alone talk about. I think if if you have a, a young person, male or female, that has a degree in something, um. She or he has to regain the respects of those that she's trying to help. And if that can't be done, there's not going to be the achievement or the two-way flow as we'd like it. I don't know, I might be wrong. Mm. But then, yeah, it's terribly difficult for some people to open up and let others know, yes, I'm having problems. Mm both physical and mental. And I think we talk about that a lot. It's also a generational... I mean, it's hard for anyone of my generation and younger to open up and tell and talk about mental anguish that they're going through. But the things that our vets have seen and done must cause so much. And we talk, often talk about a generational gap there where... Forgive me for saying, Brian, but your generation were a lot more stoic and brought up to be tough and probably because you had to be. So it would be a lot... Well, that was part of the army motto. Well... Shut up and get on with it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Which Put is, yourself together, man. That's right. Yep. Which probably proves to not be helpful after you've seen mm. and done all these things. So now as you've got older, and we really appreciate you coming and, and telling us what you have today... But do you think there are others that still struggle with post-traumatic stress? Because this is only post-traumatic stress syndrome is is only a relatively recent diagnosis. Yes, yeah, oh, it's I I don't really know, but I could imagine some are receiving treatment, mm. some probably not, some might be, but we wouldn't know about it. Yeah. I mean, you can do it confidentially. You can go to Melbourne and uh, say you're going to the football or visit an uncle and auntie or something. Mm. And maybe at the maybe yes, they're doing that. And maybe at the same time, they're also seeing somebody that's helping them. Mm. We don't know. No, and it's it, in my mind, 
it, it's nothing to be ashamed of because having served at, served our country and served for the freedom that we do enjoy today, and these are the freedoms that you mentioned before, going to the football, voting for whoever you want to, all of these everyday mm-hmm. freedoms that people who have recently immigrated to our country really appreciate because they're things that are not offered in, in other parts of the world. In from someone looking from the outside in, I'm extraordinarily proud of those that have served. And I get emotional talking about it. And this happens every Anzac Day when I go and read through Granddad Percy's story and I get his medals out and I pin them on. But I have such great pride in our Anzacs and the Anzac story and everyone who has served Mm. after that. So genuinely, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Joe. Let's talk about, before you go... Let's talk about the proceedings for for Sunday. Dawn service. Yes. What time do we get there? Because this is, I'd never know what time to set my alarm for. <laughs> oh, where's my paperwork? I've got a memory like a sieve when it comes to that. No, it's all been publicised. It's in the today's Sentinel. It is. Yeah, Dawn is going. Uh, we will not be having the resource centre open for cup of tea after dawn and the main service Mm -hmm. because of the close proximity. If those who can recall that it's normally a great melting pot of past school students, etc., and all with probably family history of military service and because of COVID, Mm. and we thought that would be... But the Rumvale Euston Rotary Club have decided to bring the donut van in at 5am or earlier. That's fantastic. That deserves some applause. And having that on Cape Square and having cups of tea and coffee from there. Um, For the second year in a row, the RSL sub-branch is paying money to a professional um, sound c- company in Mujidura. Mm-hmm. They'll be probably there today running wires um, so that we have uh, a PA system that can be heard for hundreds of metres. Great. And that allows everybody of impaired hearing or not to hear um, or if there's any car nearby or whatever. Being a Sunday, yes, there's going to be less traffic, but also the roads have been all blocked off as well, so there won't be any problem there. But at least we're getting back to normal to a degree. Mm. All we want is the people to attend. Absolutely. Our biggest draw card this year is our guest speaker for the main service, and she is a serving major in the Army. She's a ex-Houston uh child mm. and um, yep, she'll be also guest speaker at the um, yeah, Houston uh, morning service. We assemble at quarter to six for the dawn service. Yes, yes. Uh, we, where do we meet for the march? That's in Perrin Street, isn't it? And yes, march to the Cenotaph. Yeah. Yes. Right, great. Down Perrin Street, outside the pharmacy mm. as per normal. Does anything happen at the Wall Memorial? What do you mean? The Memorial Park for Anzac no, Day on the no, highway? No. no. E- except the flags will be flown. They will be. Okay. Yes. Excellent. Yep. That's the most important. You know, we can't take away from uh, the consecrated uh, cenotaph. Mm. That's, mm-hmm. that's where it, yeah. Yeah. That's another question that I, I often okay. get get asked is 
why don't we do it? Well, oh, yeah. the cenotaph's well, in town. Well, people say that to me too. Yeah. You know, but, yeah, the cenotaph is it because that was consecrated and that's specific for all wars and so forth. Yeah, yeah fantastic. The uh, Memorial Park does make a lovely photo post-dawn service, mm. especially when there's kangaroos on the ground, and there often are kangaroos <laughs> yeah, on the ground early in the morning. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And also the Memorial Park has uh, been able to procure an anchor. Oh. It'll be coming from one of the Navy ships. It weighs about six tonne or tonne, and, um, yeah, that'll be freighted to Robbenvale in the near future, and uh, we have to have a bigger concrete pad of course for that yeah that's exciting that there's still more things but to it's be it's not a traditional anchor as oh. as one would uh, think you know the old yeah the old time anchors the it's old from a time warship. anchors is yeah those those days uh yes are not <laughs> not in vogue anymore no i such. can imagine mm. i mean the navy wears the old insignias of the old anchor mm. but that's going way back. But to get one of those anchors is um, just about near impossible, oh, I believe. That wouldn't surprise me and at all. And it took a lot of work uh, by quite a few people mm. um, to procure this anchor. Yeah. Fantastic. Is the Rural Life Museum open on Sunday if people wanted to go and have a look at the vehicles? To my knowledge, I don't no? think so. Okay. Yeah, that's fair enough too. But there are vehicles there should you want to go and have a look? Oh, yes. Yeah, mm. well, there's also all the photos of the um, the blockies mm. in Robbenvale, mm-hmm. the soldiers, the settlers, mm-hmm. yes. Mm. And most are in their uniform, mm. or 99% of them are. Excellent. There's yeah. also the display at Robinswood Homestead to the Villiers Bretner. Oh, um, yes. Yeah, very, very impressive. Which is very yeah. impressive. Yeah, it's in the front in the front room, I think, mm. isn't it? The front bedroom. Mm. So if you get a chance, that's open again now on Tuesdays and Thursdays if you want to pop down and have a look. So the dawn service for Robinvale and Euston is at 6am, assemble at quarter to six. There will be donuts and tea and coffee available. The that's the dawn service at Robinvale, not yes, Euston. Not Euston. No. Euston is, is later on in the morning. At nine o'clock? Well, you've got the program I there, have. there to, to <laughs> verify for me, please. Let me have a look. Uh, Robin Vale Cenotaph, the march. So the march is at the Euston March from the Euston Club Resort is at yes. 8.30, assemble okay. at 8.15. Then back in Robin Vale. That's the Euston Public School Coordinator. Yeah. Yeah. I'm only a guest there. That's that's great that they coordinate that. Yeah, they've been a very uh, open little community school. Parents and teachers are mm. very, very supportive. Yeah. yeah. It's just impo- – I think, I think it's important that schools continue to do things like mm. this. My stepdaughter's the school captain at St Mary's in Swan Hill – so she has been asked to go along and, and lay a wreath and, and march, which is fantastic. And it's, it's exceptionally important that they continue to do that. Then 10 a.m. Uh, for the march in Robinvale, assemble at 9.45. Correct, yep. And all the, de- all the details are in the Robinvale Sentinel this week. That's it is true. on page two or three, I think. So you'll find all the details there. Brian, I'm so appreciative of you coming in. And, of um, course, you've got to remember in the details, we go to Boundary Bend in the afternoon. We do. I did. Well, uh, some do. There's yeah, It's It's not, um, how shall I term it? It's not as large as okay. here. Yep. But you have a very warm, uh, hospitable 
small group of people that are passionate mm. about Little Boundary Bend. The other thing you've got to remember, and Boundary Bend residents are in the process of doing that, that Kulanong, not that far from Boundary Bend, was mm-hmm. a First World War s- s- settlement. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a book out by, I think, one of the Ryans, might be Rita Ryan, I stand corrected on that, um, with a photo of the men on mounted on horses to ride to Melbourne, would you believe, all the way to Melbourne on horseback for the opening of the shrine. Really? Yes. Wow. That's incredible, isn't it? So then you got further First World mm. War settlement closer to Anuello, mm. Benetton, mm-hmm. where there were 60 properties there. Yep. And in amongst that 60 properties of First World War settlers, um, you had uh, quite a few uh, Aussies, mm. men, mm-hmm. that and their families mm-hmm. that um, did not serve. Yep. So you had a mixture. Mm. And... Joe Bond's father was one of the men that didn't serve but was able to procure a property there. Right. And those properties were the square mile, 640 acres. And somewhere along the line in the bureaucracy of thing, they decided to take back all the properties from the men and redistribute them in another format. And it's been known that some of the men had done quite a bit of work in clearing the land to grow crop and some didn't do much. And, of course, when it was reissued, um, yes, it was a bit of a uh, yeah, a challenging time, I'll put it that way. Yeah, that's an inter- it's a good adjective to use, I guess. There's a few <laughs> others that you could use. Well, but... that's why I'm very discreet on the fact, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll be making mention a little bit of that because yep. I believe it's quite interesting. And, of course, uh, there's an opportunity now for me to say that the water that came to Bannerton, Soldiers and Yarello, and there, those mm-hmm. Soldiers Hitler properties and the other properties, came by earthen channel all the way from the Grampians. Did it really? Yes. There's quite a few people don't believe me. But anyhow... Channel from the Grampians. Yes, yes, yes. But there's a river right there. Yes, but <laughs> but they never had pumps I in suppose in, in World War One they didn't have pumps. No. Post-war... No. Yeah. Wow. So when you think the Robbenvale Lock and Weir was only built after the First World War. Yeah, yeah. That's another story again. It so, is. Yes, I mean, it's... yeah. We'll have to get you in again to tell more stories. No, not really. Yeah, I think I'm, so. I'm, I'm not the historian <laughs> that others are. But it's been a I'm very a, enjoyable I'm chat. I'm only of the school of hard knocks. <laughs> Which is the, uh, we get the best education, isn't it? Well, you learn the hard way, yes, <laughs> the practical way. And exactly. if you stuff up, you pay for it. Exactly. Hey, just quickly, is Richard still playing footy? No. He's no, not. He's not, no. Is he still involved at Yarrawonga? Was he over at Yarrawonga or is that Brad yes. O'Connor? No, he, yeah, well, Brad's there. Well, Richard's oh, okay. there. Yeah, he's yeah. cemented himself into the community. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a wife there and got two little girls and uh, Andrea teaches at preschool and so on. Oh, wonderful. Uh, Richard's on his own business now as a sparky. He's got an apprentice on with him. Excellent. And more flat out and poke a stick at Matter of fact, the Arawonga, the growth there is just unbelievable. Yes. People coming out of Melbourne and buying property Mm -hmm. um, because the COVID's 
really accentuated. Mm. And, um, yeah, and if you go up the Yarrawonga Main Street, you've probably got about 10 to 12 different opportunities to have a coffee. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's an interesting – I love Yarrawonga. I've got a few clients over there. It's a a monoculture too. It is, yeah. yeah. Uh, We have a lot to do with uh, the council over that way. They're part of the Murray River Group of Council. We're catching up with with them again. They've got a huge challenge there because they're still debating uh, about the bridge Mm -hmm. and whether that bridge should go where, what or how and Mm. why. But the longer they leave it go – yeah, the, the more expensive it's going to be. Well, exactly. We've been battling for a Swan, new Swan Hill Bridge now for 40 years, so they'd want to start fighting for it so we'll make a decision sooner rather than later. But we digress. Brian, I really, really appreciate you coming in today. I know how busy you are. If you haven't got your badge yet, where can we buy the Anzac Day badges? Anzac badges are on sale in Perrin Street mm-hmm. um, next to the op shop that's near the jewellers. Yep, excellent. Fantastic. So go and buy your Anzac badge. Make sure you come along to one of the services, if not all of the services, on Sunday. Why not? If if somebody can go to four, I'll take my hat off to you. I'll buy you a beer or two. You're on, Brian. Challenge accepted. Personally... I am ever thankful to our diggers, our veterans and our current service men and women and I encourage you to honour them, if only in the smallest way possible, by attending an Anzac service this Sunday. Robinvale, Euston and Boundary Bend all have the regular services starting at dawn, Euston at 9 and the march at 10 with Boundary Bend at 3pm. Details can be found in the Robinvale Sentinel or on our website. They shall grow not old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn, at the going down of the sun, and in the morning we will remember them. We will remember them. <laughs> <laughs>